Welcome to the BCP podcast. Big hug to all of y'all. I am James, the Black Assertive Patriot. Appreciate you being here, especially those of you who are just now discovering and listening to this program. Now, yesterday, we spent the entire episode, 40 plus minutes, talking about, first of all, looking at President Trump's responses to Dr. Fauci, to COVID, to the vaccine. In his interview with Megan Kelly, we looked at turbo cancer. And I want to continue with what's going on in New York. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With the governor fighting for the right to quarantine people over COVID. The governor really wants this. Uh, Last time I checked, the governor is not a lawmaker is not a legislator they're an executive now remember everyone thought you were loony those of you who believed that the government was making plans for mass internment of people fema camps and what have you and then you see this playing out right before our eyes this week Rochester played host to the dispute over a COVID regulation which was previously ruled unconstitutional. Advocates gathered outside the appellate court on Rochester's East Avenue as the court heard the final arguments in an appeal to this ruling. Some background here in July of last year, Republican State Senator George Borrello and other plaintiffs won a lawsuit against the governor as well as the New York State Department of Health over a regulation that would ultimately allow the Commissioner of Health to issue isolation or quarantine orders in order to control the spread of the disease. The judge struck that regulation down, saying it violated constitutional separation of powers. In March of this year, New York Attorney General Letitia James filed an appeal on behalf of the governor and the DOH to try and reverse the ruling. Outside the courtroom this morning, Borrello, his attorney, and supporters of the original ruling doubling down on the fact that they feel the government is overstepping boundaries. I don't know, but I'm guessing if you're watching this show or you're listening to it on the BCP podcast, once again, we appreciate your support in consuming our news product for you. If you're watching this, you're probably thinking, yeah, an executive wanting to give unelected bureaucrats the power to intern people, you can call it quarantine or whatever, but forcibly having people detained in a place without due process and against their civil liberties, 
that's internment by any other name. And the fact that it's already been ruled unconstitutional and they're still fighting for it, yeah, it seems like this is a power grab. An unconstitutional power grab. Our governor is using the Department of Health to ensure that she has absolute power. Absolute power. And if we don't stop them here, this goes on to other things. And it goes to other states. They can't change the provisions of a law. It is not in their power. And that's what happened here. They overstepped their power. They tried to change that law. They tried to write a whole new law. Cox says it will take a couple of months for the court to make a ruling. This may not be the end of the road for this battle. State officials could appeal the ruling again, taking the case to the State Court of Appeals in Albany. All right. Now, in this lawsuit, as you saw of uh, Mr. George Barello there against the tyrant Kathleen Hochul, there was a great argument by attorney Bobby Ann Cox. She gave oral arguments in this quarantine camp lawsuit in the 4th Department Appellate Court. Uh, this happened on the 13th. And this argument was so good, it got, a, uh, it got an applause, an extended one. Once again, this is New York attorney Bobby Cox. Rule 2.13 gave the commissioner of health the, the unbridled power to pick and choose which New Yorkers she could lock up. She didn't have to prove you were sick. She didn't have to prove you were exposed to a communicable disease. She didn't have to prove you were a health threat. She could issue an isolation or quarantine order at whim. With the force of police, they could have removed you from your home and put you into a detention center, a facility, whatever you'd like to call it. There was no age restriction. So they could have done this to you, but they also could have done this to your child or your grandchild or your elderly parent. Does the Department of Health have to follow New York state law when they want to remove someone from society who is a public health threat? The answer to that overwhelmingly clear question is, yes, of course the Department of Health has to follow law. If they don't have to follow the law, then What's the point of having the New York State Legislature? Yeah, I downplayed that. It wasn't just applause. It was standing ovation from some of the people in the hearing room, in the, in the, in the gallery there. Yeah, great point. If the, the governor has to follow the law, right? Yes. Governor doesn't make law. The legislators do. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right. Well, we've got uh, we've got more news. Check this out. Look at this uh, letter. Updated vaccines coming to combat COVID nine variants. Breaking mandatory COVID vaccine for healthcare workers. The Providence Hospital System has announced a November thirtieth deadline for all care providers. Are the healthcare workers going to continue to allow the government to tell them what is good for their health and finally take a stand? Do not comply. Well, what is this all about? Well, this is about the Providence Hospital System that has just dropped a bombshell on its employees in a move that Jim Hoft at the Gateway Pundit calls Orwellian. The healthcare giant announced on its In Our Circle app, a platform designed for employees to stay up to date, that all workers, all workers including those who are already vaccinated and boosted by the previous shots, are now required to receive the latest COVID-19 vaccine and if they don't do this, if they do not comply, they will 
be subject to unpaid leave or even lose their jobs and be terminated. According to the announcement, all employees are now required to receive the latest COVID-19 vaccine, which was recently granted, once again, emergency use authorization. So we are now, what, two years plus past the rolling out of the first vaccine, and we're still under U, uh, EUA, not full vac- not, not full status. Why? That way, Big Pharma cannot be sued for the poison bioweapon, this new one that they've just formulated. The updated uh, messenger RNA vaccines were approved this week and are expected to be available soon. They are already available, I understand, in some places. I think New York and other places have already gotten them. So the uh, Providence Family Organization is a network of not-for-profit healthcare organizations in the United States. It is the largest Catholic healthcare system in the country with over 50 hospitals, 1,000 clinics, and 120 employees. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. The Providence family of organizations operates in seven states, Alaska, California, Montana, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. Employers or caregivers are required to provide proof of vaccination by November 30th. Those who choose not to get vaccinated can submit a declination form. Those who will not comply will be removed from the schedule, placed on unpaid leave, on unpaid leave and may be subject to termination. Wow. It's right there. It has begun yet again. All right, check out this news from South Korea. South Korea is going to compensate deaths within 90 days of the shot. The country of South Korea has announced that they will be compensating families of all people who die within 90 days of COVID vaccination, regardless of the vaccination itself has been confirmed to be the cause of death. Pretty interesting. Families of people who have died will be eligible to get up to $22,500 and compensation money. This is pretty telling. Quote, Korea was able to achieve a higher inoculation rate compared with the rest of the world because people trusted the state and went to get vaccinated. In this regard, it is the state's responsibility to tackle the blind spot in helping out those who fell victim to the vaccination policy. This came from Representative Park Duochul of the ruling government party. That is very interesting. Turns out that South Korea has recognized 11 different types of side effects caused by the COVID shots. And of course, myocarditis and pericarditis are among them. They also list another 15 symptoms like Bell's palsy and uterine bleeding as potential side effects of the shot. South Korea has had 96,000 complaints from people who have reported side effects from the shots and nearly 30% of those complaints have been accepted by the government. Hmm. That's in South Korea. That is a first world country realizing the effects of the vaccine. So maybe we're not crazy conspiracy theorists after all. 
All right, let's go over to some news having to do with the great Dr. McCullough. Uh, a major influencer in the medical world, Peter McCullough, and the World Council for Health are recommending a go-slow approach to vaccine. Let me rephrase that or be more clear. Vaccines, not just the COVID vaccine shot, but other vaccines that have been so common. Check this out. McCullough, one of the medical experts who was censored repeatedly during the earlier battles with COVID because of his medical conclusions he drew about the pandemic. McCullough has issued a statement on behalf of WCH that cites which, that cites it is the first international body of physicians, scientists, and health professionals to issue a cautionary statement on the ever-expanding routine childhood vaccines, vaccine schedule. This is not just about the COVID vaccine. This is in response to growing concerns over the safety of many vaccines given early in life during the same administration. The number of vaccines given to babies and children has increased dramatically without the necessary due diligence by regulatory authorities. Parents are urged to adopt a common sense, safer to wait approach. Growing international concerns about vaccine regulatory processes and vaccine safety have emerged following the widespread regulatory failure of COVID-19 vaccines. The COVID-19 crisis has demonstrated that regulatory bodies, once public protectors, have been deeply corrupted by vaccine industry interests. In other words, they're in bed with Big Pharma. He continues, quote, In the context of emerging, rev emerging revelations of regulatory body incompetence and corruption, the, WCE, the WCH Health and Science Committee notes that several research studies now indicate that vaccinated children have far worse health outcomes with higher rates of many chronic diseases than non-vaccinated children. We can see this in the United States. They've done Pennsylvania studies of Amish children and general population non-Amish children who are suffering from, oh, I don't know, higher rates of autism and other things that are almost, I believe, non-existent within the communities that don't succumb and don't comply with these health regulations. The integrity of science research and the regulatory processes of childhood vaccines, including the new nasal flu vaccine, now being administered in mass in schools, is in question. Pharmaceutical corporations have a long-standing history of misrepresenting products that cause injuries and death. Pfizer, for instance, has paid the largest criminal settlement in history for drug fraud. The childhood vaccination schedule provides these unscrupulous corporations with unregulated access to the bodies of our children. Worse yet, much of what we have been told about the success of early, I'm sorry, then there's the unprecedented surge in autism, asthma, allergies, inflammatory bowel disease, diabetes, obesity, depression, and more. And the causes of those catastrophes have not been established. Why, why, why do we have all these catastrophes all of a sudden? Could be the vaccines. Now, some of you have heard me speak about this in the past, but I was awakened to vaccines. I was not in a vaccine alarmist. I'm not an anti-vaxxer per se, but I became aware of this push of vaccines when in the late 90s, when I, actually this would have been the mid 90s when it started, but in the late 90s when I was getting married and I saw the push for 
the 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 flu the the flu vaccine I I fell for it I was I was a news junkie and but I wasn't totally aware of how all the propaganda worked I was 21 22 was very young and I was like oh my gosh I want to get me and my young bride protected from all of these uh, uh, the, the, all of these sick, sicknesses that are happening all of these things that are happening with this really bad flu uh, strain I took the flu vaccine one time. I convinced my new brother-in-law and sister-in-law to do it as well. And guess what? None of us suffered from allergies. After that, I had allergies for years. It took me years to purge it from my body. And the only thing that changed was that damn flu vaccine. Worse yet, Dr. McCullough continues, much of, we have been t- much of what we have been told about the success of early vaccines, including smallpox and polio vaccines, is emerging as untrue. Very interesting. Clean water, modern plumbing, hygiene, refrigeration, and improved nutrition are real factors that have correlated with the dramatic reduction in many infectious diseases over the past century. So this is uh, this is Dr. McCullough pretty much saying, hey, uh, slow down. Slow down on the vaccines. Better to wait. Vaccines as a whole are beholden and health officials and governments are in bed with big pharma. Let's just chill on the vaccines. All vaccines may not be as advantageous as previously sold. Now we have the APPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, with this statement. Mask mandates do not prevent spread of respiratory viruses. They cause harm and violate the right to informed consent. Wow. This week, the AAPS Statement of Patients' Freedom provides that patients have the right to be informed about the risks and benefits of any medical intervention and have the right to refuse medical treatment. The use of masks and other face coverings as a public health measure or otherwise are a type of medical intervention to which the above informed consent rights apply. Government recommendations and mandates regarding the face coverings have been contradictory provided to the public as authoritative without evidence, are in conflict with available data, and neglect to mention any potential harm from use of covering, coverings or masks. Concerning efficacy, in addition to the indisputable failure of mask mandates to prevent outbreaks of COVID, the Cochrane Systematic Review of Available Empirical Evidence concluded that studies did not show a clear reduction of respiratory viral infection with the use of medical and surgical masks, and there was no clear difference between the use of medical surgical masks compared with N95 and P2 respirators in healthcare workers when used in routine care to reduce respiratory viral infection. It gets it gets it gets even I'm not gonna say better, but this it gets even more interesting. Check this out. Concerning the concerning the potential for harm, there are at least 60 studies and reports that illuminate downsides of masking and face covering in different scenarios and among varied patient groups. Examples of harm found in the peer-reviewed literature include prolonged use of mask is not a neutral event and in fact can cause harm. In other words, it's not like, okay, it doesn't stop respiratory disease, it doesn't stop COVID, but it's otherwise harmless. No. Quote, prolonged use of N95 and surgical masks by healthcare professionals during COVID-19 has caused adverse effects such as headaches, rash, acne, skin breakdown, and impaired cognition in the majority of those surveyed. 
Wow. 14, wearing them for 14 hours or more significantly affected the psychological, biochemical, and perception parameters in a negative fashion. It hinders the acquisition of speech and language in children. And experimental data has shown carbon dioxide content in inhaled air rises on average 13,000 to 13,750 ppms or parts or particles per million, no matter whether children wear a surgical or an FFP2 mask. Now, to put in perspective, a thousand parts per million is normal for air in closed rooms. And it rose on average to 13,000 to almost 14,000. Wow. And by the way, society requires facial recognition as the most basic component of interaction and communication. Studies in individuals with age-related muscular degeneration have shown that poor face perception in AMD is an important domain contributing to impaired social interactions and quality of life. So, not only do not do masks not work, they are harmful. Okay, that concludes, for the most part, our coverage on COVID vaccines mask mandates. But we're not done with health news. Twitter X is garbage. By the way, follow this show, BCP Podcast, on Twitter if you're on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, I'm not telling you to get on Twitter. But if you are on, please give us a follow. We have Twitter and other social media blocking all kinds of information still. Transitioners like uh, Chu Cole are being blocked by Instagram because they're sharing the horrific experience of what was done to them when they were children. Let me play you a clip of... Chloe Cole, if you're not familiar of of who she is. And you may not be. I'm only somewhat familiar with her because I've seen her in a few interviews because I cover this in the news. Let me play this for you so you can see who she is and what she went through. My name is Chloe Cole, and I flew out here all the way from California. So, for those of you who don't know me, I am a former transgender kid. I'm biologically female, but throughout a good portion of my adolescence, I identified as male. A lot of you must be wondering, how does this happen? What led up to this? Well, there, there's several factors that make our youth quite vulnerable. I fell victim to the idea that I was actually a boy trapped within a girl's body, and I began to resent myself in a way that felt more consistent with my so-called gender identity. I came out to my parents with a letter that I left on the table, asking them to refer to me by the name Leo and call me their son. They wanted to support me, but they were at a loss of what to do for me. And so they turned to the help of healthcare professionals who went on to coerce them into giving up their role as parents 
and letting me do as I please. We had no idea these so-called doctors and therapists were just butchers and liars. She calls these so-called medical professionals who convince her parents to abdicate the responsibility they had as parents, she calls them butchers. They mutilated her. You know, mastectomy and binding and all these other things. They mutilated a child's body. Yet in the sickness that is social media, as if Americans needed any more evidence of the heavy-handed left-wing bias of big tech social media corporations, Instagram restricted the account of Chloe Cole, the world's most famous young detransitioner, reportedly claiming her bio encourages violence. Cole's bio on Instagram, which is owned by Meta's Facebook, reads, uh, Chu Cole, Chloe Cole, 19 female, XX, former trans kid, started T, testosterone, and puberty blockers at 13, double mastectomy at 15, detransed at 16. The Instagram notice to Cole reads, your account can't be shown to non-followers. Your account activity may not follow our recommendations guidelines. What this means, your account and content won't appear in places like Explore, Search, Suggested Users, Reels, and Feed Recommendations. Wow. This is what uh, Chloe said. Facebook has notified me that my Instagram bio is too violent. If you think reading it is violent, imagine actually living through all that. Cole underwent a double mastectomy of her healthy breasts at age 15, claiming she was rushed into that and other extreme transgender procedures by doctors and therapists given over to trans ideology, whom she now describes as butchers and liars. It has ruined my life and I will never be the same. I will never get those years that I was supposed to be growing and thriving back. Uh, these poor children. Evil, evil sickness. And when a victim of said sickness speaks out, they are labeled as violent or uh, encouraging violence. But that's how it is, folks. I got kicked off of YouTube for just talking about the controversy around Ray Epps and their excuse for kicking me off that I was cyberbullying and calling to violence Ray Epps. Words are meaningless to the left. When they want to cancel you, they will just cancel you. Speaking of transgender, do you remember when Joan Rivers said this and then, crazy enough, died shortly after? Do you think that the country will see the first, the United States will see the first gay president or the first woman we president? We already have it with Obama, so let's just calm down. Got it. You know Michelle is a trans. I'm sorry, she's a what? A transgender. We all know. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. It's okay. Disturbing new details emerging tonight about the death of Joan Rivers. One of the doctors reportedly conducted an unauthorized procedure on her and then took a selfie in the operating room. Joan was eliminated for exposing the former first lady. This, it's like there were 10 years 
Well, I couldn't stand my husband. Yeah. You, you know? do say that. You say that. Years. years. And guess when it happened? When those kids were little, right? Fans have also pointed out that the clip of Joan saying Michelle was transgender that was originally posted on the CNN YouTube channel was replaced by another clip, while the title stayed the same. Meanwhile, Obama's old letters resurfaced in which she talked about having daily gay fantasies. And since Michelle recently admitted that she couldn't stand Barack for the first 10 years of their relationship, fans are now saying the Obama have more skeletons in their closet than previously thought. But did Joan Rivers know about these skeletons, and was her life in danger for speaking out on Michelle? Were Joan and Obama's chef's deaths really just accidents? Or is there some proof they were eliminated for knowing too much? President, does anything scare you? You know, uh, well, when my mind, when uh, Michelle's man, when my mind, when uh, Michelle's man. All right, just a little peek down that rabbit hole. As a segue to this next story, since we're talking about trans people, Tennessee GOP Representative Andy Ogles predicted this week that former First Lady Michelle Obama, or as some of you I know contend, Michael Obama, uh, Michael, uh, Michelle, that it would be Barack Obama's spouse that will replace President Biden as a 2024 Democratic presidential nominee. Uh, quote, I'm not convinced that Joe Biden will be their nominee. I think that because of his health, because of the many bloopers and the fact that he gets lost in the Rose Garden, I think at the last minute you're going to see some switcheroo. Gavin Newsom has said it's not going to be him. And so that's really points to Michelle Obama, maybe at the last minute, stepping in here. That's his... Uh, that, that's his comment. The only person that could put together on the Democrat side a grassroots army and fundraising mechanism in really a moment's notice would be Michelle Obama. I'll raise that flag of warning. I think she's going to put her name in the hat at some point. What are your thoughts? Uh, put it down below. Talking uh, of about uh, female Democrats, this is pretty interesting. An exclusive report reveals that Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is in a possible ethics scandal regarding her marital status. The Free Beacon reported this week that AOC has referred to her fiancé, Riley Roberts, as her spouse in four separate forms filed with the House Ethics Committee in 2023. As Andrew Kerr, the author of the piece, notes, the committee defines a spouse as someone whom you are legally married. In fact, it appears a whopping 161 times in the House Ethics Manual. But is AOC married? Her office says no, but she's identified Raleigh Roberts as her spouse in four filings with the House Ethics Committee. So far this year, the committee has a strict definition of spouse, someone to whom you are legally married. Moreover, if AOC did legally marry Roberts, that means his finances are subject to public scrutiny, yet she's refused to include any of his assets in her filings. If AOC is indeed married, her spouse's, fiance, her, her spouse's finances are now subject to public disclosure, but she did not disclose any of Robert's reportable stock holdings, assets, or income on her latest financial disclosure, though she did make two references to her spouse in the filing. So she talks about her spouse and the rules are she's supposed to dis disclose her spouse's assets, but she hasn't done so. And according to her office, 
she is not married. Hmm. This might explain why AOC's spokeswoman, Lauren Hitt, told the Washington Free Beacon that AOC and Roberts are not legally married. And then she lied. Once again, this is AOC's spokeswoman, Lauren Hitt, incorrectly stating that the ethics, the ethics committee has recognized spouses to mean long-term partners. This is not true. As we stated, it says over 161 times, legally married. Kerr reports the findings came as a result of AOC's overseas travels and points out something interesting suggesting a strong conflict of interest on AOC's part. Four legal filings submitted to the House Ethics Committee pertaining to AOC's overseas travels last year and this year suggest the pair have been legally married at least since January 13, 2023. If that is the case, the squad members can no longer leverage the so-called boyfriend loophole to evade public disclosure of his finances. But AOC apparently does not want the rules to apply to her. Raleigh Roberts lives with AOC. He accompanies her on official overseas travel. They presumably share living expenses, but unlike other congressional spouses, her finances have been shielded from the public thanks to the boyfriend loophole. But once again, there are four filings submitted for overseas travel that suggests that the pair have been married since earlier this year, 2023. Despite establishing herself as a champion of congressional ethics, AOC has no interest in closing this loophole. The legislation she introduced in May to ban her colleagues and their spouses from trading stocks doesn't apply to Roberts if they remain unmarried. How convenient. So another tweet there by Andrew Kerr, investigative reporter there at the Washington Freak Beacon. Andrew Kerr of the Beacon also tweeted out, AOC makes a big show out of not owning stocks or crypto. She says this is so she can do her job as ethically and impartially as I can. But what about Riley Roberts? Does he own stocks or crypto? I've asked AOC's office several times since she got engaged. They won't say. And because I like to, when I can, end or start things off with a little bit of levity, I loved this comment. Well, she wouldn't be the first member of the squad to have dubious marital status. <laughs> of course, a dig at Ilian Omar. All right, what you heard there was the voice of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who addressed the plenary session of the East Economic Forum this week. He talked about the special military operation in Ukraine. He spoke about their failed counteroffensive and their slaughter of 71,000 people, 543 tanks, and some 18,000 armored vehicles that were destroyed with no strategic significance for Ukraine. Now, during this address, Putin also issued a grave, worrying warning towards the UK government, who he accuses of training Ukrainian sabotage group, which aimed to blow up nuclear power uh, plant lines in Russia. So this is what uh, Sputnik is reporting. During the clash, the FSB, that's Russia's Federal Security Services, captured several people. They destroyed or killed some. The rest were taken prisoner. It turned out that this was a sabotage group of the Ukrainian Special Services. Interrogations are ongoing, Putin said, which shows that their task was to cause damage to one of our nuclear power plants 
to blow up power lines in order to ultimately disrupt the operation of the power plant. This was not, or this is not their first attempt. Putin is accusing the UK special forces of trying to disrupt Russian nuclear power, saying that the elite forces were training Ukrainian troops on how to damage the atomic power lines in Russia. Vladimir uh, Putin speculated that maybe Rishi Sunak, the new prime minister, doesn't understand the risks and warned of serious consequences. Let's go over to the Daily Mail, which is reporting Putin as saying the following. During interrogation, they admitted they were trained under supervision of British instructors. Do the British understand what they are playing with or not? Are they provoking our response at Ukrainian nuclear sites, nuclear stations, or what? Does the British leadership or the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak, know what their special services are engaged in in Ukraine? Or do they have no clue at all? I assume this is possible too. I assume it is possible British special services act on orders of the Americans. Either way, we know the final beneficiary. But do they realize what they are playing with? I am afraid they simply underestimate. I know there will be howling that starts after my words like, these are threats, nuclear blackmail, and so on. Literally, Vladimir Putin is telling Britain that they're playing with fire, whether they their special forces are acting under the direction of the new prime minister, the fairly new prime minister, or the Americans, it doesn't matter. Putin is saying they're playing with fire and that he's willing to fight fire with fire. And by fire, it means nuclear. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy as I end this podcast for the week and we go into the weekend. Thanks for being here. Ciao, goodbye. God bless.